OTB Sports Rugby. 1 to 15, everyone's got a role to play in terms of breaking down the opposition, but it's an enjoyable attack to, to be involved in because we all like to play rugby and get our hands on the ball and stuff like that. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Jonathan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Um, look, we're we're uh, losing the run of ourselves because Evan Ferguson scored again last night. And, <laughs> uh, my argument is that in football, you should lose the run of yourself. That's the whole point. If you're going to be involved in supporting a team, you should support them. And when things are going well, you should get really into it. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And he's obviously a phenomenal talent and somebody he's well worth getting excited about. Uh, can you give us like a, an honest broker opinion? Because like we are literally carried away. We cannot see the wood for the trees here. Like we've literally compared him to every every <laughs> one of the world's best strikers in the last 25 minutes in the show. So uh, how, how good is he? I mean, he's potentially very, very good. Um, yeah, he, He's very young, so you've got to... You've got to be careful about that, but he seems very level-headed. He, he seems to have that appetite to to develop his game, uh, which I think is is the you know is the real key thing at this age. That he's not sort of thinking right, I've, I've cracked it. That, that there does seem to be that desire to continue his education, to continue to improve. Um, you know, I, there's not many players I think who've uh, come into the game so quickly and and and, you know, and, and sorry and, and so quickly seem so comfortable. Um, so adept at so many facets of it, um, and I, you know, I, I think it's it's indicative of just how gifted he is. That when he was on the receive again, that terrible tackle from uh, it was from Fabinho, wasn't it? it? Was in the Liverpool game. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of thought, ah, oh, that's a, you know, even though I've got no, you know, I don't particularly care about him or Ireland or Brighton. There was a sense of disappointment. Oh, I'm not going to be able to watch him for the next few weeks. I, I really hope he gets over that soon. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, physically he's very, very good. Technically he's very, very good, and, and perhaps most importantly, mentally and temperamentally, he seems very, very good. Yeah, the, the last point on this before we get on to what we actually got you on to talk about um, the bit where he is so young and has come through so quickly, like it's shocking, really. It it seems like a complete outlier in how the Premier League does its business now because they're they're scouting all of the world's best young players, and they generally don't come through until. 2021, 20, 22, and even then they tend to come through in another league before they get the opportunity in the Premier League. Yeah, and I think um, I think I, I touched on the much wider point about youth development and the the slight issue the Premier League has that really the Premier League needs teams like Brighton, Brentford, Fulham uh, to be you know, at least one or two of that that sort of stature of club to be doing well because that allows these young players to be thrust into it. Whereas if he was at a you know, Liverpool or a Chelsea or Manchester United, maybe that, that that way would be blocked, and he'd have to go out on loan, and, and he wouldn't be getting his chance in a team playing well. And I think that's the key point. You know, he could be thrust in playing for Watford or Norwich or whatever, but if you're in a team playing poorly, you're feeding on scraps. I mean, um, you, you could draw a comparison. It's not quite exact, but with with Ellis Sims, who was on loan at Sunderland earlier this season, first half of the season, got seven goals in seventeen games particularly when he's playing in front of Ross Stewart, looked incredibly bright. Uh, then he's gone to Everton, you know, Everton recalled him from Malone and he's struggled for opportunities. And when he has got his chance, he's been wandering around up front while, it's, while they whack long balls at him. And, you know, physically he looks like that type of player, but, you know, he played best alongside a, a big man at Sunderland, alongside Ross Stewart. And I think he's, he, you know, he's, there's more to his game than that, but he's not able to express that at Everton because they're never going to play with two forwards. So, 
yeah, the, the the sort of mid-ranking team slightly overperforming gives an opportunity for players to to be fast tracked that they wouldn't get at the bigger clubs where there's probably seven or eight players vying for that position with him of a similar age. Which brings us nicely to the situation at uh, Chelsea, where they have acquired some of the best young talent in world football. Uh, a lot of it in the same position, and now they can't really find a blend that is functional at the moment. Are there significant problems with the way Chelsea are going about their ambition or beyond the, the identity of the manager and the, the transfer policy? Or is this all going to work itself out over the next 18 months? What, what's, your, um, what's your instinct about what's going on there? Um, on, on the one hand, I'm still quite excited by a team trying something new. Um, and this this idea of, you know, we go out and we sign you know, six, seven, eight players aged roughly 20 and we pay a lot of money for them and we give them long contracts and this is the next decade of a club. I, I sort of see the appeal of that. However, at every stage, I, I, I see doubts. I mean, the first one is if this works, why has nobody done it before? Uh, but I guess that's the nature of evolutions. They, by definition, they haven't been done before. Um the second point is football just doesn't really work like that. You, there's, there's no sort of, you know, in other businesses you can buy an asset and you have a relative confidence that it, it, it will appreciate. Um, I just don't think players, I think it's as straightforward as that, that form and injuries and fitness, um, the, the, the team they're in has, has, has such a bearing on, on what their value is, uh, both in financially and in terms of what they deliver on the pitch, that I think it's very, very hard to predict where a player however promising now where he'll be in three, four, five years. I think giving players long contracts while it gives you the security that the players, sorry, other clubs aren't going to come in and, and poach them from you because you can, you can drive the value up. Well, realistically, who can afford to buy Chelsea's players? There's not many clubs there. And I think there's a massive danger that you get loaded with, with players who, for whatever reason, haven't quite developed as, as you'd hope. Um, and, and you know, then draining wages. And I know that the wages are relatively low and it's very heavily incentivized and it's, it's really about bonuses. But if that's a liability for seven or eight years, that's a problem. Also, we've seen with a huge number of players that they almost need to be coming into towards the end of their, their contract to be entering a period of renegotiation to, to be fully motivated. It's quite easy. Oh, you know, eight years, I can just sit here. I don't need to be playing for, for my future. Um, but also, there's just a more fundamental problem uh, that, that I guess splits into two. So one is, if you bring in, I mean, however many players they brought in, a dozen or so at once, it's really hard to get them to settle. And, and you know, we've seen that um, you know, when Fulham came up the last time, that no matter how good those players are, it takes some time to settle and getting the blend right is really difficult. And secondly, you need a blend of ages in the squad. Um, that you can't just shove out, you know, eight players aged 21 or under. They need some experienced players there to help guide them. And so that's why the whole history of football, the best clubs, yeah, yes, they bring in young players, but they bring them in in, you know, three or four, they'll, 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 they'll push through. And then ideally they'll have three or four in their mid twenties and, and three or four touching 30 who've, who've seen it all before. And, and then the one learns from the other and, and the, the sort of you get the blend of the energy and the enthusiasm of youth. And the benefit of the experience of, of, of the older players. Um, so I, I think it's a it's a chaotic situation anyway. And then thrust into that, you've got Graham Potter, who I think is a very very good manager. He, he's 
he's shown incredible, I think, emotional intelligence right the way through from the ninth tier of English football, the Ghana women's team, uh, you know, a, a, an amateur side essentially in Sweden with Swansea, with Brighton. Yeah, every stage he's he's adapted and he's changed his approach and it's worked. And there's no reason to think the Brighton is his ceiling. But he's a player, he's a manager who is always, you know, when you're coming from Brighton to a, a big six or big seven side, there'll always be that slight question mark. And obviously the start he's had, those those doubts are magnified. And I think fans have, have significantly lost faith. And from what we hear, players... Still do believe in him, and, and uh, you know, do still appreciate him, and his his calmness seems to make him very popular. Um, but you do wonder how long that will endure if, if if form continues as, to be as poor as it is, and he could easily find himself drummed out before he's really had a chance to to get his feet under the table in a very very difficult situation. It's ironic, Jonathan, that we're talking about Evan Ferguson when his when his former manager Graham Potter needs a needs a striker right now. They've got they've got a goal in one goal in six games, I think. Um, it is so. Will he be given? Are you led to believe he'll be given a, a bit of a leash to pre-season until Christopher Nkunku comes in, or is his job actually under threat in the next number of weeks? I, I think that's very difficult to say. And everything we hear from the club is, no, no, we've got patience. We don't need to qualify for Europe this season. All of that is is priced in. We're not worried about it. Uh, everything you hear coming out of the dressing room, you know, and Chelsea's historically has been a very leaky dressing room and a, 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 a dressing room that has turned on previous managers. I haven't seen any evidence of that yet. You hear certain things from players that they they appreciate that uh, when they've come back from injury, Potter's been very patient about um, putting them back in the side, whereas previous managers maybe would have rushed them back and risked further, further injury. He's been very much, you know, let, let's get this right. Let's let's make sure that, that, that you're not going to break down again. Um, and I, I think, you know, N'Golo Kante's eagerness to sign a new contract, having been... Um, uh, skeptical about that. I think that's evidence of how how he feels comfortable with Potter. But they've only scored uh, was it four goals this calendar year? Um, yet won two of the last seventeen games. Um, you know, eventually those doubts are going to set in, and I think the the, the worry for me is as somebody who, who broadly thinks Potter's is quite a good thing and is is quite a good manager and and, and may well do well at a bit a big club in the future uh, is his team selections now they they and maybe this is inevitable when you've got a squad as big as the one he's got but there doesn't seem much consistency there I'm I'm struggling to see what he's building towards it does slightly feel as if he's just sort of grabbing at options and hoping something sticks. And you know, it may be that he does have a long-term plan and we just don't see it. But at the moment, I'd be slightly concerned about how many changes he's making, how consistently. But he, he's starting to look like a manager who doesn't quite know what he's doing. Is there an attacking structure to the Potter uh, body of work that is identifiable at the moment? Um, I mean, I think he's always been a manager who, a little bit like Guardiola, uh, likes control. Um, and obviously, at, at smaller clubs, that's had to be tempered. Um, there's only so much control a, a Brighton or a Swansea uh, are going to have. Um, I think there is that big concern that you know, his, his his failing at Brighton was they they didn't score enough goals that they underperformed their XG quite significantly. Um, and then I, I guess he left with the question of is he just un- and that's obviously what's happening at Chelsea that. Um, 
I think of the 10 games since the World Cup, they've had the better XG in seven of them now. So, yeah, they've, they've picked up league games. They've picked up 10 points in most league games. The XG would suggest they should have 20. And if they had 10 more points, then they'd absolutely be in the, the race for top four. And we, we probably wouldn't be, be expressing these doubts. But is he just unlucky that at Brighton and at Chelsea, he's had a team without a goal-scoring centre-forward? Or is there something deeper about the way he plays that he his teams create chances that for, for some reason get you a good XG score but don't actually produce goals. My suspicion is the former, but it's not unreasonable, I think, to wonder if it might be the latter. And, and that, that's why uh, you, you hope he does get a chance with, with Nkunku, with, with a proven goal scorer. But it may be that the damage by then is done. If you've had six months of not winning games, then it's, it's understandable that players if players lose a bit of faith in you and, and, and start sort of... Uh, disobeying the game plan, start doing their own thing, thinking that, that they know better than the manager. And once that starts to happen, then then you've got big problems. It's funny, I was reading an article in one of the Irish uh, papers, the Irish Independent from Colm Keyes this morning, talking about the, the Derry GEA squad in Gaelic football, how it's it's uh, on purpose very, very lean this year and how that's leading to success on the pitch. Graham Potter has the opposite problem, Jonathan. I think it's a, thir- a first-team squad of 31 players. There's talk that it's impacting training as well, where he's having to adapt training to improvise and have smaller groups and keep everyone involved. Like, it's a matter of time before a squad that size leads to morale issues, surely. Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, and and, and it's, you know, this is again, if you're looking for excuses for Potter, there's plenty there. You know, when he arrived, they had you know, a dozen players out to injury and he was you know, down to the bare bones. And they've gone almost immediately from this sort of skeletal squad to this incredibly bloated squad where in any given week he could put out you know, another two teams as well as the one he does put out. And I, I think, A, that confuses his thinking. But yeah, as you say, if if players aren't regularly getting in, in the side, then they're going to be asking questions. Now, I guess the advantage of them being young is maybe those questions aren't quite as loud as if they were 26, 27. But still, if you're a, a player who's been playing regularly for, you know, whether it be in Ukraine or the Netherlands, and you've moved for... 30 odd million, 80 odd million, and you're not getting a regular game, you're going to be thinking, well, what, what have I actually done? Why, why have I come here? And of course, you've also then got added to that. There's essentially three different tranches of this squad. So there's a squad that was there before Bowley arrived. There's this, the, the, the sort of the, 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 the 250 million pounds of the player signed last summer under Tuchel. And all of them must be thinking, well, why have I come here? I came for Tuchel and Tuchel explained it to me and these were Tuchel's plans and we know Tuchel was very involved in that process. And a week after that window closes, in comes a different manager and now this manager's had 350 million quid spent as well. So yeah, there's three different sections of a squad's been built up over three different periods, none of which seem to tally with any of the others. So... um, yeah, I, 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 the problem is obviously not the depth of the squad. I'm just not convinced it's been put together particularly intelligently. And I, I think when you bring in that many players, it, it's it, it's it's as if they tried to take a shortcut to the process. It's it's like I don't know. You 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 start playing Championship Manager, you've got a massive budget, and you just go out and buy all the twenty year olds because you think they'll all develop at once. But yeah, real life's just not that easy. You know, the, the evolution of players is not automatic they they need to be brought through and they, they need people to guide them and they need that evolutionary process uh, football obviously 
and football fans is a, a, a constant world of comparison and well how are they doing and we know that we have the league table which is the, the ultimate comparison but there was also a trophy lift at the weekend where Manchester United have turned their season around under Eric Ten Hag and I mean it's obviously a very different CV that Ten Hag has to uh, to Potter but by comparison those players at Manchester United who were previously failing under um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, and managed before that now look like they are not just competent, but also, uh, in some cases, much better players than they were previously. So that's what a good manager can do to a squad, irrespective of the size of it. It doesn't help Potter that Dan Hag is being quite so successful at the moment, does it? Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure the comparison... Yeah, It's not an entirely direct comparison that, that I think um, the, the United squad... Uh, well, you know, with three or four players coming in the summer, it's made it look very different. And I think more importantly, one player leaving. Um, but I think the speed with which Ten Hag's been able to sort that out is is incredibly impressive. You think how bad they were in that defeat to Brentford. But that that does show how quickly these things can turn. If 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 Potter gets his centre forward in, if he does get them scoring goals, um I mean you know, they scored fewer goals than any other professional team in England this year. That's not normal. That's not like this. There's something this it's I think beyond Potter, there's just a weirdness there. If that disappears, if he does find it, the right structure, it could be that, that, that in six months this all suddenly looks very good. That I think we've seen with Arsenal and Arteta, things can change very quickly. It only takes one or two things in the squad to be slightly different. And suddenly a lot of other players can look a lot better as well. And I think that's one of the one of our failings as a football culture, that we're far too quick to, to judge players and say, oh, yeah, he's not up to that level or... Um, you know, he should be getting in the England team when actually it's to do with the structure that they're in. That, that there's very few players in the Premier League who are actually bad players. It, it's it's just can you get the most out of them? I think part of struggling to do that at Chelsea at the minute, partly because of the size of a squad, and, and partly because yeah, the, the the sort of general atmosphere of of despair and frustration. So much money has been spent, and and and, and so little has been delivered on the pitch. And, and I know Graham Potter has a couple of top recruitment specialists apparently alongside him. But if you if you compare that recruitment at Chelsea and United, and even away from the pitch, you think of characters and personalities. I mean, you look at the likes of of Casemiro or Varane or Martinez at, at Old Trafford. Like Casemiro's won how many Champions Leagues, and yet the biggest celebration at the weekend was when he shepherded the ball out for a corner, and he's all of a sudden given it large to the to the United fans behind the goal. Like clearly. Tin Hag and United's recruitment has been based on players that have that attitude uh, off the pitch, that they have something, a bit of personality, whereas maybe that's something that the Chelsea recruitment has been lacking. Is that is that maybe harsh or is that fair? I, I think it's inevitable danger when you sign so many young players. So, I mean, you look at Enzo Fernandez, for instance, you can't doubt his will to win. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think Casemiro is, is an exceptional signing, but they paid £60 million for a player you know, who's got five years left, maybe maximum. Whereas Chelsea paid 105 million for a player who's maybe got 15 years left. So, yeah, if you, that, it is, but you're right, it is a danger if you bring in young players. You don't quite have that that drive and that confidence. But I, you know, I think you look at Fernandez and you think, yeah, no, he's a he's a really, really good player. He's, he's, he's just, you know, is he worth 105 million? I, these, these are sums I, I really, you know, I struggle to understand. Is he an exceptional footballer? Yes. You know, his capacity to find space, his touch, his passing, allied to that aggression. 
yeah, I think he's yeah. You imagine he, him and Kante playing together in the back of midfield, and you think right, any opposing creator, that's a really terrifying force. And Fernandez can create as well, and Kante can make those driving runs. So I, I you know, I, I think there's there's plenty of potential there with with Chelsea, but um, it, it, it's it's more the spending on those those wide forwards where it's a little bit harder to see why they needed to do that when they already had wide forwards there, whether there were other positions they needed to strengthen first. Um, but you look at Badiashiel at, at Chelsea, um, who's, what is he, 19, 20? Uh, and you know, when he's played, he's he's looked exceptional. Um, so you know, it, it's not that the, the whole recruitment has been a disaster. It, it's that bringing in so many players at once has created confusion. But certainly Fernandes and Badiashiel, I think, have, well, and Joe Felix, albeit only on loan, have, have looked, I think, very, very promising and very impressive. What What is your uh, explanation for why Ten Hag has been so good? What What is it that he's done to make the team so effective that has allowed those players to either overachieve in some cases or fulfil their potential in others? Um, I think... He, I mean, he's a proper manager. He's 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 tough. He's got a clear vision of what he wants to do. He's smart enough and intelligent enough and brave enough to adapt that when it obviously wasn't working. Um, you know, he tried to play that that Ajax style, the high line playing out from the back. They looked at De Gea and thought, yeah, all right, that's not De Gea's strength. We'll slightly modify that. Um, he's clearly had an influence over recruitment that he he knew Martinez's abilities and brought him in. Um, I don't know how much say he had over Casemiro, but Casemiro has been a you know huge in terms of filling that hole in the middle of midfield and and, and um projecting his his authority. Uh the work he's done with with Rashford, um you know, whether that's to do with the, the finishing work he's been doing with Benny McCarthy, whether it's just been to refocusing and getting him fit after all the injury problems he's had. Um you know, I think all of that's incredibly impressive. But I, I think it's just his his toughness is his willingness to impose discipline, uh, and I think you know yes he's got a better a better CV than Potter's not not entirely fair he's worked at a high level than Potter, but there's plenty of players and managers who've come from the Netherlands who have struggled in the Premier League. It's not that he had enormous European success you know, he, he had got to a semi final, but it's not he'd won European competitions, but to have that steeliness to impose his vision after that Brentford game. To say, look, you ran, what was it, 13 kilometres less than Brentford, we're doing a 13k run tomorrow. And he then goes out and does it with them. To manage to ease Ronaldo out of the club in a way, I mean, Ronaldo, I think, helped with this, but by the time Ronaldo left, it looked like an inevitable decision. There was no way you could keep him there. So politically, he won that battle. And and that's a big thing to do, to take on Ronaldo and, and, and get him out. And I think he was a massive problem in terms of just drawing all the attention. Um, Stories you heard about uh, his disruptiveness and disruptiveness in training, his reluctance to fulfil to, to fulfil certain tactical instructions. You know, getting rid of Ronaldo allowed them to return to a, to a tactical base, and that's where you feel a bit sorry for Solskjaer. That like, I don't think Solskjaer is anywhere near as good a manager as Ten Hag, but his United at least were able to play on the break, and they they got good results against big teams by sitting deep and using that pace in forward areas. He gets Ronaldo imposed upon him. They just can't do that. So the one thing that they did well is suddenly taken away from them. Um, but but Ten Hag has been able to to, to follow his vision, and he's you know, he's clearly a very very good manager, and he's he's been allowed to manage. So um, 
yeah, and, and you have a discipline. The fact that you know, Rashford playing so well is then late for meeting and he gets dropped. And that's a message to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're scoring 15 goals in 15 games. Yeah, you turn up when I tell you to turn up or you're out. And, and that, I think, I mean, it's a, it seems a basic thing, but, but discipline, getting the players to buy in fully, uh, that's, that's hugely important. And you saw that buy in with the, you know, Casemiro celebrating, shepting the ball out. Um, he's given them an intelligence and a nastiness, you know, the, they, they protected that lead very, very cleverly against Newcastle on Sunday against a team who've sort of become noted for their, their gamesmanship. So they, yeah, they've, they've got a structure, but they've, they've also got a, a will to win and a personality that's a bit tougher than, than United have been for a decade. Jonathan, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 